All right, thanks for tuning in to Caught in the Krause Fire. This is a new podcast hosted by me, Krause, and I'm hopefully going to be doing this every week for a while. And Caught in the Krause Fire is going to be a show that is focused on natural resources and other environmental topics in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan and some other places around the U.S. and the world. I will be bringing in guest speakers throughout the show, most of which will be from the Upper Peninsula. A lot of them are going to be from Michigan Technological University's College of Forest Resources and Environmental Sciences. That is where I am a student right now, getting my master's in forestry. I I am originally from downstate Michigan, uh, around Saginaw Bay City area, a little town called Freeland, and I have been into um, forestry and natural resource type stuff since I was little. Um, I used to go camping and hunting a lot with my dad, fishing, and when I was getting my undergrad at Northern Michigan University, I did wildland firefighting as my minor, so that is a big passion of mine. But today, I have two guests on the show who are also in my master's program at Tech with me, um, Nathan and Casey, and we're actually doing this as a class project for our professionalism and forestry class to get some communication credits in to get Society of American Forester accredited. So I'm going to introduce you guys. Um, Nathan is a master of forestry student here at Tech who got his undergrad in wildlife ecology and management and is originally from uh, downstate Michigan as well. And Casey is a master of forestry student who got his undergrad in English at Oakland University and is originally from Holly, Michigan, which is also downstate. So hello. How's it going? Hey. All right. So we are going to talk today a little bit about your experiences, and the reason that I have you both on the show today is because you both worked in Alaska for a while. So um, I guess let's start with Nathan. Do you want to talk a little bit about, just tell us where you worked and what you did, and then we'll have Casey go. Yeah, sure. So uh, <clears throat> last year, summer 2019, I uh, worked for the U.S. Forest Service uh, on the Tongass National Forest, which is the largest national forest in the U.S. Um, worked for them as a forestry technician, uh, specifically timber sale preparation um, out of southeast Alaska. Um, I was based out of Ketchikan, which is uh, pretty the second largest city in southeast Alaska. Um, I was based out of there, but most of my work took me either, you know, via flow plane or helicopter to Prince of Wales Island, uh, which is pretty heavily logged, and um, uh, South Revilla Island, which is the same island Ketchikan is on, but it's not accessible via roads, so you have to float plane there. Um, but yeah, so uh, we'd go eight days on, six days off, um, so it'd be kind of a a week and a half, you know, or like a little bit over a week of uh, isolation, no, no phone service, no nothing, um, living either in cabins or a bunkhouse. Um, and then uh, every day, 10 hour days, seven to five thirty, we'd head out and uh, do various things, just uh, prepping for timber sales, you know, reconnaissance or uh, actually flagging in areas, cruising, grading, um, all those kind of sorts of things. Sweet. Casey, can you tell us about what you did and where you were? 
Sure, yeah. So my first experience in Alaska was also in southeast Alaska in a little town of Gustavus. Um, it's about a half hour flight west of Juneau. It's kind of the gateway to Glacier Bay National Park. And I worked at the lodge there as a front desk agent almost 10 years ago. I was 21. I think uh, like a lot of people, I wanted to go west. I wasn't sure kind of what I wanted to do with career-wise and stuff. I was looking for something different to do that summer my junior year my undergrad degree and uh, yeah took a job up there and uh, worked at the lodge and um, yeah it was just an amazing experience it's really my first experience to like our whole public land system and it was just a, a beautiful summer whales glaciers it was kind of your classic Alaska uh, experience and really kind of um, shaped my career and uh, I didn't know it at the time but kind of got me into natural resources eventually and then later on, after I did graduate, um, I worked in interior Alaska up uh, north of the Arctic Circle in a little town called Coldfoot. It's not really a town, it's just a truck stop. So once you get north of Fairbanks, there's really only one road that goes north of the Yukon River, and that's the Dalton Highway. People might have seen that on Ice Road Truckers. It goes um, from Fairbanks all the way up to the Arctic Ocean to the oil fields. And aside from that road, I mean, you can walk clear east all the way to the boundary of Canada and clear west, all the way to the Chukchi Sea, Pacific Ocean, you really won't run into anything. It's really our last kind of true wilderness area. So um, that was a little bit of a different experience. Um, the mountains aren't as high. The interior of Alaska is much different from southeast. But yeah, I worked as a, a guide there in the summer. We did kind of interpretive tours and then some um, driving tours along the Dalton Highway. A lot of people just flew up just to say they'd been across the Arctic Circle. And then in the winter, we um, we did some dog sledding tours. I got into mushing a little bit. That was really interesting. And then aurora viewing tours, um, especially this time of year in March, it's just absolutely packed, especially with spring breakers. A lot of them from China, international students, and a lot of folks from Australia. It's really a premier aurora viewing destination interior alaska north of fairbanks um, because unlike a lot of the, the nordic countries like scandinavia sweden people really associate with aurora viewing those places get a lot of maritime influence so a lot of clouds but interior alaska in the spring it's really clear and you can get excellent displays of aurora so uh, sometimes it's directly above your head sometimes the band of aurora is actually south of you it's it's so it's some really amazing uh, displays of aurora up there so i did that on and off for about um, five years and really fell in love with Interior Alaska, too, is just a hiker's paradise. Nice. Did you stay up there, like, during those five years? Were you living up there that whole time, or were you traveling back and forth? Um, when I was up there, I was living up there. We actually lived in called ATCO unit trailers. They were old trailers left off from the pipeline construction days, just little tiny little trailers. We each had our own room, so we lived in those in the winter. And then in the summer, we got kicked out into these kind of Quonset hut type tents they're like four season tents they were actually pretty nice in interior alaska in the, the summer aside from the bugs it, the temperature is pretty pretty good it's not super hot and uh, in the evening it's nice so living in a tent all summer long isn't that bad and all our food was taken care of of course so but i never did like a full year round i would do like four or five months at a time and especially in the winter i never did a full winter i've been i've lived in cold foot for every month of the year but i would do like november september through december or like january through the entire summer sweet 
So before you guys went to Alaska, you're from downstate Michigan. Uh, Nathan, what got you to like apply for this job in Alaska? Well, it's kind of funny. I mean, you know, like I had, like you mentioned earlier, I had my wildlife ecology and management degree. So I wasn't really, this was actually the only real forestry job, I guess you could say, that I applied for. Everything else was, you know, a biologist or something of that nature. And um, I know the government shutdown happened last year and that kind of threw a lot of jobs off. And um, it was funny, all of a sudden, I think it was either February or March, it was kind of, it was later than usual. I was starting to get worried that I might not have a summer job. Um, I got a call from my supervisor, um, Brock, he's Brock Martin. Um, and, uh, he, you know, interviewed me and then uh, a week later he called me and offered me a job and, um, this was pretty surreal. Um, you know, I mean, kind of what Casey said, you know, I guess, um, when I'm younger like this, kind of want to be able to explore before I settle down and, um, this is a cool opportunity and um, it was funny because there was a flyer sent out earlier in the uh, in the year and it was just a picture of a, a barge you know surrounded by mountains and said do you want to work here you know apply here and that's where I applied and uh, so I said yes and you know I kind of you know it was it was a whirlwind because you don't really know what you're getting yourself into once you really get there and I mean I was so truthful when I got there it was completely different than I thought it was going to be um, but I guess it was just the pure, you know, being able to say, yeah, I worked in Alaska. And um, it's just funny how many people, once you get there and even when you come back, how many people, like how many connections you make. Because the world, I feel like it's for natural resources for one is already small. But then when you narrow down to having to bend to Alaska, there's so many, so many connections that you're like, oh, yeah, I, you know, you know exactly what they're talking about. You know, people they know. And it's, it's pretty funny. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, we only have like the few of us in our cohort and you guys, the two of you both worked in Alaska and I'm sure knew some of the same people and have worked with some of the same people throughout the years. So Casey, what, uh, you were getting your undergrad in English. So what got you up to Alaska? Um, yeah, like that first summer, like I said, I was just really looking to kind of shake things up in my life. And, uh, yeah, when I came back from Alaska that first summer in Glacier Bay, I was just kind of, you know, it just changed my whole perspective on everything and exposed me to all these public lands that I really had no idea about. And then like natural resources in general. So I was already pretty well into my English degree. So I wasn't looking to make that big of a shift, but, um, as soon as I graduated, I knew I wanted to go back. And while I was up there, I saw photos at gates of the Arctic national park, which is, uh, in that area, I ended up going near Coldfoot there. And I was really thinking I was gonna work for the park service or something, but again, we had another government shutdown. I think that was in 2013. That was a long shutdown too. And uh, needless to say, I didn't get any park service jobs that I applied for and uh, ended up going to coolworks.com and got that job as a guide at uh, Coldfoot. And uh, yeah, I just, I fell in love with it and kept staying there kind of year after year. And then, uh, after my second year there, that was the end of 2014, I was like, well, I got to come back to Michigan and get a real job. And I ended up working as a customer service representative and uh, I stuck it out about a year, but just I couldn't do it. Um, and all the time while I was up in Alaska, I was reading a lot. Um, there's a forester, spent a lot of the time up there, Bob Marshall. He was a big wilderness advocate. And mm-hmm. the Bob Marshall Wilderness in Montana is named after him now. But um, and some of his readings, I found out he was a forester and started 
learning about forestry through um, his writing. So all that time I was working at customer service job that was kind of in the back of my head. And I, awesome. I basically said, well, I'm 25 now. If I'm going to get into forestry, I'm going to do it. So I, I ended up moving out to Colorado and pursuing forestry out there. But uh, yeah, it was really Alaska that was kind of my genesis for, for getting into forestry. Yeah. Awesome. So um, I guess next, like, Let's talk about what a typical day was like for you um, at each of those jobs. And then maybe we'll talk about like a, our favorite memory. So Nathan, I'll let you go first. What was like a typical day? You said that you had to um, like go out on float planes or helicopters. So tell us, I guess maybe more like the, what the, the week was like for you. Yeah. So yeah, like I said, usually eight days on, six days off. So um, they were heading out um, about the morning time. We'd head to the groceries, you know, before we left Ketchikan, we'd head to the grocery store and um, pack up all of our food for the week in boxes. Um, and uh, usually there's always water at these, obviously at these places, but we'd get all our food and our perishables in boxes. Then um, that'd be around seven. I think usually our our full planes uh, were scheduled for about 8 a.m. takeoff. So uh, we drive down to the full plane, uh, the outfit is usually uh, Misty Fjords, um, which is a, just one of the many out float plane outfits in Ketchikan. Um, go there, um, depending on where we go, you know, Prince of Wales, uh, we'd go to Whale Pass or sometimes Thorn Bay. Um, it just depends which place we're going to, but anywhere from a half hour to an hour float plane ride. Um, <clears throat> then we get there, unload all of our, you know, usually we'd have to drive to wherever we're going, whether that's a barge or a cabin, because the barges are still connected to the land. They're just really, you know, like a walking, a walking path um, off of land, but they're on water. Um, mm -hmm. But um, then we'd uh, unload all of our gear um, kind of make a plan for the week and then we'd uh, head out in the woods um, you know it, it really depended um, I worked on two timber sales uh, um, <clears throat> this summer the first one was uh, twin mountain timber sale which um, really just came out this year um, but it was on uh, that was the Prince of Wales one and uh, we'd do anything from reconnaissance you know because a lot of their everything nowadays is uh decided if they're gonna potentially harvest it based on lidar so they'll uh fly fly a plane over do lidar and decide um based on its heights and um some imagery if they think that it might be a good unit to harvest um obviously taking into account other things like wilderness and um previous harvesting and things like that so there, there's a whole that's a whole other can of beans that you know deciding what areas might be uh, good for timber harvest but um so then we go out you know reconnaissance if we decided a unit was good some that we would want you know something that would be um profitable essentially for the logger that's going to carry it out because um, they don't want anything that's going to cost them money because that's just obviously that's not but the whole reason you're doing timber harvest in southeast alaska is to support economies so it needs to be profitable but um if we want if we liked it we'd lay it out uh by flagging it in um, and then we do a cruise. Um, and while we're cruising, we're grading in while, like during we're cruising, um, we lay in roads or shovel trails. Um, and then eventually once that all got approved and go through, then it'd be painting. So 
each week, you know, is basically a, we wouldn't really do each thing diff- at a different time. It was kind of a whirlwind of, you know, you'd get sent to because all the units have different labels and you'd get sent to this area, you know, this unit 43 needs to be cruised or unit 43 needs to be painted and um, anything, you know, that uh, needed to be done that we would do it. Um, so then all that stuff would be submitted uh, back to the ranger district. Um, they would do all the, all the not fun uh, computer work of uh, determining bids and, you know, determining volume and all that stuff. They'd plug all that data that we collected in um, and then they'd be able to generate timber sale contracts and put it up for bid. Um, but yeah, so I mean, a day in the life was pretty, it was pretty fun. I mean, it's just, you know, you're in such isolation, you know, I mean, you're out there and you can turn on some music or something if you want. Um, you know, just kind of get you through the time, past the time, I guess, while you're doing, you know, because all these things, you're not, you know, you're not extremely, I mean, I guess when you're cruising, it's pretty hard thinking. So maybe you don't want to listen to music there, but when you're painting or, you know, doing simple stuff like this, you can kind of relax and, you know, be productive, but uh, be comfortable while you're doing it. And um, so, I mean, yeah, it was just pure isolation a lot of times you're working by yourself too so you better be comfortable you know working in bear country that's a big thing ran into plenty of bears up there never gotten charged by one but got followed by a couple so um but you just gotta be comfortable on your own skin and comfortable with the fact that you know no there's no uh hospital for at least a three-hour flight or you know maybe more than that it depends on where you are less than that it depends where you are but um very steep terrain, um, dangerous terrain in Southeast Alaska. There's a lot of karst, which is, um, karst is kind of a, a weird thing where, you know, rocks have, uh, worn down over time. Like a lot, a lot of limestone is worn down over time. And if you step one place, you might fall into a <laughs> endless pit base basically, but it's kind of covered up by moss and covered up by, um, other things just cause it's an old growth forest usually where you're working in. So, um, that's like some uh, stuff you see in movies. Yeah, it's, it's crazy <laughs> stuff. I mean, the trees, too, the, some of the size of these trees, uh, you know, Sitka spruce, 180 feet, 200 feet tall. Diameter is like seven or eight feet. I mean, it is absolutely gigantic. You know, it's just some crazy, crazy stuff that, you, you know, coming from Michigan, you, you're never, you're like, wow, this is like the real thing, man. You just, yeah. you never expect to... Was the Beatles Devil's stuff. Club bad? That yeah, kind of herbaceous that, plant. I remember that in Southeast Alaska. If, it wasn't, yeah. if you weren't on a trail, it's like, oh my gosh. Oh yeah. What's it called? Devil's um, Club. Yeah. So it's I, the way I can describe it is it's like a giant thimbleberry leaf with thorns all over it. I mean, oh. they are. It is. I mean, everywhere too. It's not just the leaf. It's on the stem, and it's everywhere. And it's funny because it's basically whenever an area gets, you know, maybe like a, na- a tree falls over or something and it creates a gap, you know, it's kind of like one of those early regenerating species. And it is, it's not very, you know, it doesn't get, it gets probably like taller than, you you know, maybe like seven feet high at the max, but usually you have to punch through it and it's, yeah, it's awful. <laughs> it's oh. not very, that's the one, you know, if you're going to complain about anything in Southeast Alaska besides the rain, there's not, I mean, there's, there's some bugs, but they're usually the rain knocks them down a lot and uh it'd be devil's club i mean that's like there's no you know uh i don't know some of the species here that we that we hate that have thorns i can't even think them off the top of my head but there's nothing like that it's just basically devil's club is the uh yeah but that was a uh, <laughs> that was the only thing you really could complain about except that and you know maybe the steepness of the area it's just uh but yeah it was it was a really cool 
really cool to be in the day in the life. You don't, you really can't, it's hard to even explain. I'm sure Casey can attest to this too. Just even explaining it to people doesn't do it justice. You just, you have to be there. And that's kind of, I think why maybe, you know, at least me for sure, why I wanted to do it is to say that I've been there. I can actually say I've experienced it, you know, and instead of just either talking, reading or hearing about it. So. Yeah. 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 I've, I've never been out that way. I can't even imagine like, I mean, the trees here, don't even get to like over 130 I mean you know like I haven't seen anything quite the size of that or experienced anything like that so yeah it's a whole different world uh so Casey what was you can talk about both of those jobs I'm sure that the front desk agent job wasn't as exciting but um talk about like just a typical day or week uh doing both of those jobs yeah sure so the the front desk job in Southeast Alaska. Yeah, like Nathan said, plane travel kind of dominates everything in Alaska and in Southeast Alaska, especially with it, it is so rainy. It's a temperate rainforest. A lot of times you can get weather delays. So I usually, I worked the morning shift when I worked at desk. I was like 5 a.m. till 1 in the afternoon. And first thing I would do is just check the bookings and see if the flight was going to make it in that day. I would go to the airport and pick up guests and then, um, there was also a tour boat that left. It was like a catamaran tour boat that brought people into Glacier Bay National Park. Um, our guests in there and they could kind of, they would drive them up or boat them up near the glaciers and they would look at wildlife and stuff like that. So I would help out with that. But yeah, it was a lot of just kind of man in the front desk there. And then in the afternoons I had off to myself and, uh, you know, it was a pretty wild summer. You get a lot of people in their early 20s together in an isolated location. We had a lot of parties and bonfires, and I was able to do some some good backcountry trips. I did a five-day sea kayaking trip up in the bay. That was really amazing. But um, Yeah, and then up in Coldfoot, which is the terrain's a lot different, um, interior Alaska, the trees are actually really small. They're stunted by the permafrost up there, so... Mm-hmm. And then obviously the, the climate's a lot colder, but again, that, that job all revolved around air travel. So we had a sister company in Fairbanks, Northern Alaska tour company, and then they would fly guests up to Coldfoot, or they would ground tour them up the Dalton highway um, from Fairbanks to Coldfoot, and they would stop at the Arctic circle along the way. So the main tour I did in the summer, people would just fly up. I would meet them at the airport and uh, I would, take them up to a subsistence village called Wiseman, Alaska, and only has 12 year round residents and they would meet one of the residents up there. And um, I'd take them to Coldfoot to the truck stop and then bring them back on the plane and they were only there for on the ground in the Arctic for about an hour and a half and then they'd fly back. Sometimes I would do that four times a day. Um, and then another tour we did was like a longer tour where people would fly in, they'd stay overnight I'd drive them north of the tree line of North America and um, up the, the Dalton Highway. We'd drive back down towards Coldfoot, and there was a rafting component where we'd get in a raft, and I'd raft them back down to the airstrip, and then they'd get back on the plane. And then in the winter, it was a little bit different. Um, people would still fly in, but their main goal to be up there in the winter was, of course, to see Aurora. Um, so at night, I would take them up to Wiseman, which didn't have any light pollution I mean, we're out in the middle of the wilderness, but Coldfoot at the end of the day is an industrial truck stop. So sometimes there'd be like 50 trucks there all hauling stuff up to the oil field. So there's a lot of halogen lights, there was some light pollution. So 
we'd go up to Wiseman and then we'd be in these heated cabins and we'd be there from 10 at night until like two in the morning, uh, seeing if Aurora was going to happen. And most nights it happened, but you know, if it was cloudy or there just wasn't any solar activity that night, um, those could be some pretty long tours, unfortunately, but you know, some, if it was really blowing and going excellent Aurora, I mean, it was like the easiest work in the world. People just, some of those shows were so incredible. The Northern lights up there. It's like the, the pink and purple hues. It almost looks like it was being sucked in a vacuum tube above your head. You just kind of have to like sit down and watch it happen. So, um, saw a lot of great Aurora shows. Um, and then of course winter in, uh, interior Alaska, pretty cold, uh, like ambient temperatures and negative 40. So that has its own kind of challenges of, um, of dealing with that. Um, didn't have any accidents or anything like that, but again, it's just, um, yeah, it, having that cold ambient air temperatures, you just move slow. Everything's a lot slower. We had like gas pumps with that snap and plastic fails at those temperatures. So it was definitely an interesting experience. Yeah, that's crazy. That's like, I mean, people think the UP is cold when we're talking about it up here. Oh. <clears throat> so when the Aurora was happening, did you guys, were you guys like sitting in the cabins watching or did you go outside? And sit no, and usually, yeah, my job consisted of if they didn't want to be outside, I would be um, outside of the cabin we had like these little kind of furnace heaters and I would be outside just like and if it started to happen I would go into the cabin and get everybody and they we had somebody from who lived in Wiseman would kind of come up and give a talk so there was some um, entertainment for the guests while I was waiting for the aurora to happen um, and then a lot of other stuff I did was just setting up people's cameras and making sure um, they had tripods and their camera settings were right to pick up Aurora on the cameras. So you have to set the ISO settings to get all that light infiltration into the lens. Sweet. So, yeah. Cool. Well, how about I'll, I'll have you guys talk about maybe like some of your most valuable experiences. Like, are there things that you learned while having these jobs that you think will like last throughout your lifetime? Like certain skills or just like the experience itself? yeah i mean um yeah i mean i guess kind of going back to what you know i'm sure i don't i mean just living in the i guess the one of the skills for me particularly is just living in isolation like that um you know i never when you're you know when you're working in michigan you work alone but it's never it's never that you're you're still close to somebody when you're you know close somewhat close to somebody when you're in alaska you know i mean maybe um you know maybe uh i mean it's obviously not driving distance away You're, you could be far away from somebody walking distance you know up to a half hour an hour away from somebody walking just because how steep the area is but um i guess that's a big skill that I, you know being comfortable in the woods by yourself i mean if i feel like i've conquered southeast alaska uh was i can conquer anything at this point um i mean that's kind of a, a famous thing they say out there is just you know forestry like in alaska is nothing like anywhere else in the world. Um, but that's a big skill I feel like I've learned. And um, I guess the, the teamwork and the communication, you know, I mean, I, I really, I loved working with, you know, cause when, uh, when this, 
the Forest Service, when they're doing work, uh, especially on the Tongass, with it being the largest national forest, you know, there's a lot of a lot of things. It's not just we walk in there and we decide we're going to cut this area. You know, there's there's so much preparation that goes into into timber work like this. Um, they have fisheries groups, they have geologists, they have archaeologists, they have wildlife biologists. They have everything there to make sure that we're not doing anything non-sustainable. You know, if there's a goshawk nest, we're not going to cut that area. If there's a fish stream, we're going to put a buffer through it or we're not going to cut the area depending on how, you know, important or productive that fish stream is deemed by the uh, fish biologist. And if there's a significantly, you know, uh, archaeological site, like from Alaska natives, we're not going to harvest that area. Um, there's so much that goes into this, this stuff. And I, I really enjoyed working with all those people. You know, I, I stayed at the bunkhouse when I was back in Ketchikan. I'd be working, you know, staying with those people. And I made a lot of friends from there. Um, one of them was actually even from, uh, one of the wildlife files who's from Northern Michigan, which is pretty funny and ironic, you know, it's just kind of the small world that you live in. You yeah. use, you run into people all the way from the UP there that summer. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the teamwork in general and the isolation, I mean, um, you know, that was my first job, I guess I'd say far away from home. You know, I mean, besides here, school, obviously it's still eight hours drive, but anywhere, you know, you consider far away where your family is most likely not going to visit you because it's a thousand dollars per ticket, you know, per person. So, right. um, but yeah, it just, you know, it really puts your, puts your goals, you know, your career goals in the natural resource profession and the perspective, you know, uh, just working your way up. And, um, cause then, you know, I don't want to say you're at the bottom of the totem pole, but you're not out there making these large decisions, you know, you're kind of there, do a lot of the data collection and you, you can help make decisions and you definitely have input, but you know, you're not, you're not the person who's making the, the giant decision of, you know, we're going to select these units and uh, you know, paint it this way, lay it out this way, you know, there's certain things like that. So um, yeah, I think there's a lot of skills, even that, you know, I probably can't come up with on the top of my head, but that they're going to be there just from having that experience and um I encourage anyone to step out of their comfort zone because I feel that, you know, when you go to Alaska, that's kind of what you're doing. You're stepping out of your comfort zone and um, pursuing, you know, the sense of adventure. So, yeah. Yeah. I think like so many having a seasonal job in natural resources while you're getting a degree is like one of the most valuable tools yeah, that a huge. student can have. Like it's, I, I stayed in Michigan doing my seasonal work, but I just like learned so much and I was able to go out West with firefighting and like learn about these different areas. <clears throat> and it challenged me when I was out West because there was different species and different topography. So I think definitely traveling to do, or like going somewhere far away to do your seasonal work while you're going through school is like a really valuable experience. Yeah, it helps you learn who you want to, you know, where you want to go. And, you know, if you actually even like the work you're doing, or you're going to school for, you know, you could not right. like it at all and completely change your path. So, yeah, when I, um, <clears throat> when I started taking my firefighting classes, I applied for a firefighting job before I had even like finished the intro class and that was, it was like, okay, this summer is going to be my test to see if this is what I actually want to do. And like, I remember, so Northern has, uh, or had a firefighting minor. And for one course, you went on spring break to Florida 
to do prescribed burns and like mm. three days before I left I got a call from my old boss on the Hiawatha National Forest up here in the UP um, telling me that I got the job for the summer and I was like oh my gosh like what if I go down down this Florida trip and I hate it and luckily it was I loved it but um, you know it's good to have the seasonal jobs then you're only committing like three or four months of your time to a job you don't know if you like yet exactly so Casey uh talk about what were we just talking about <laughs> lessons learned from <laughs> yes, yes. from the north yeah I, yeah I had a lot of the same experience and lessons I think uh, that Nathan had and uh, yeah the backcountry skills uh, you know I'd grown up deer hunting up here my dad's uh, deer camp is in Faith Orange just outside Iron Mountain but I never really had any real like backcountry like camping experiences like those kind of longer multi-day trips and luckily I had I worked with folks who kind of took me under their wing and taught me a lot of those backcountry skills so and that opened up a whole new area of recreation and kind of love for wilderness for me and then um, yeah working these seasonal jobs in Alaska when you're in when I worked in Coldfoot, there was no cell service, and same in Gustavus. I, I know there's a cell tower in Coldfoot now, which is just crazy to think about. But when you're in these beautiful places and kind of isolated in groups of like 20 or less people, you can really develop and foster some really great friendships. So those are things to always um, treasure. And then working in tourism, specifically in Alaska, you know you're I felt like I visited so many different countries, even though I was just in Alaska the whole time, because you're getting people from all over the world. And uh, especially on those Aurora viewing tours where you might be in a cabin with somebody for a few hours, you know, just people open up and kind of tell their whole life story. So I, you know, meeting people from, uh, from China and Australia and Korea and a lot of the Nordic countries and Europe, it was, um, yeah, just meeting all these people from all over the world. That was a really, great experience I got like a cool international perspective that I didn't even consider when I was taking these jobs that's sweet um <clears throat> what else let's well tell me about your co-workers like both of you mentioned having really great people which I found is like a theme in natural resources like I've never really had a bad co-worker experience uh, while working in natural resources but like especially if you're up there living without you know like you just move up there you're by yourself you don't know anyone um, how did your co-workers like influence you and like stuff like that yeah so um, kind of like what I said earlier that everyone kind of had their own um designation whether they were a fish bio or wildlife bio you know a lot of these people that worked with you know my age and they were technicians um but um it was funny the first time you know when i went up there this summer um i got there and uh everyone goes you know all the new technicians go through orientation week and um i quickly discovered that i was the only uh timber sale prep technician there and it just kind of boggled my mind you know that uh at least on the Ketchikan, Misty Fjords, Ranger District. But it was just funny because, um, you know, it's the largest national forest, the second largest Ranger District. Um, and there's only one um, one timber sale prep uh, technician. So I found that kind of funny. But, um, yeah, so all the people that um, 
I met were awesome. You know, kind of, I mean, a couple of them had been there before. Um, you know, kind of, this is like their second stint of a summer job cause they liked it so much. Um, so, um, yeah, they're, they're just great to work with. Kind of like what Casey said, you foster some relationships when you're with people like that. I mean, especially when you're living with them in a bunkhouse too, you know, um, right. um you got, you know, catch a can. I mean, like, uh, when I was home in catch a can, it really actually was kind of similar to the, to the city life in like Hoban or something like that. Um, catch can is not small. It's a giant, giant tourist town. Um, it, it gets boarded up for the winter time. I mean, like all these shops, around the area are, you know, it's, it's, it's like a normal, especially in the summertime when you have your days off too, you'd, you'd go downtown. And um, I mean, the population would double because there's usually anywhere from three to five cruise ships, you know, there each time because it's a a major cruise ship stop. So um, you'd see, you know, thousands of people walking the street. So it'd be kind of a pain in the butt. I mean, it's funny. I always compared like, you know, when you're, when you're in Ketchikan, you know, old people here in the upper peninsula or in Michigan, they talk about the weather. Well, old people in Ketchikan talk about the number of cruise ships that are going to be there that day. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's something to complain about and people hate it. Um, and it can definitely get, be annoying, but um, you know, like we'd, we'd go downtown and we, you know, we do backcountry trips. We go to the bars on, you know, Friday nights whenever we don't have to work stuff like that. Um, Sometimes we'd always be deadbeat. We'd sit in the bunkhouse, order some takeout and watch a movie or something, you know, I mean, um, it was, it was nice to make those relationships, um, you know, still maintain contact with them. I mean, one of them, actually, one of my good friends, he was a fish biologist. Um, and he actually, he, so he stayed, he is done with school. So he stayed on till like November, but it was also a temporary job, but he actually just accepted, a job in Coos Bay, Oregon, which is only about 40 minutes from where I'll be this summer in Powers, Oregon. So it's, the irony is it's, it's, it's funny that we'll, you know, we'll be that close to each other again. Um, yeah. I'm sure we'll meet up this summer again at some point because we we're really good friends. We went fishing a lot uh, up there and um, he's from down south. You know, he's not even from Michigan at all. It's just, you know, the friendships you build. And like I said, the, the world, the natural resource world is so small that you just end up and you know, the odds of that happening, like in a different field, not natural resources seem pretty slim to none. And just the maneuverability we have to, you know, we're all pretty lucky to be able to choose where we want to work. <laughs> I mean, I feel like a lot, a lot of other degrees or a lot of other fields, you know, you don't have that luxury. You're just kind of, you know, where you can get a job you can get a job. So I feel really, you know, blessed in that sense. And the friendships that you make during these jobs, you know, they're connections that you can build for, for future, you know, future jobs and just even future friendships, you know, you can call them up and, you know, hang out with them and talk about the times that you had in Alaska, talk about the times you had in Oregon, you know, it's just, um, yeah, all the people I worked with are great. They're all really knowledgeable. They help you understand perspective, you know, of other things. Cause everyone, I, teamwork, I think is just the best in natural resources because you come together and everyone has their own input instead of one person making the decisions, you know, it's just, it makes for a lot better, um, a lot better outcome and um, yeah so it was I really enjoyed the people I worked with um, my my boss was great he took me under his wing he's a really knowledgeable person um, I learned a lot from him you know just on timber sale prep and uh, anything to do with timber on the Tongass I guess um, yeah was your boss like specifically a timber person yeah he is so uh, kind of elaborating on how I was the only technician I actually was like the only uh 
because they have different within within the forest service you know it's, it's like timber fish wildlife you know they call timber is like the actual timber units so it's not just forestry in general but mm-hmm. um because there's also like silviculture and other stuff like that so timber stuff specifically i was the actually only person besides my boss in the unit for at least a, a month and a half when i got there which is kind of mind-boggling because usually there's also um an actual you know there's two usually or i was told there's usually two timber sale prep foresters and there's also like a timber, a permanent seasonal timber sale prep person, but there, none of those people, there was nobody hired that basically the timber shop was empty. It was only my boss who is the timber manager assistant. Um, so basically that's the highest up you can be in timber. Um, basically the boss of the timber unit, but um, so it was only him and me for the first month and a half. So I got, it was awesome because I got to learn a lot and do a lot, you know, usually, these things when they actually have all those other positions filled you know you're if you're a technician you're usually just doing one thing you know you're just painting or you're just you know you're just doing kind of like the grunt work I guess in a way right. you know but this way with my boss just being the only one there I got to learn like everything from the reconnaissance of the timber sale to like you know I was with him when he's talking to these higher up people and talking about, you know, all these regulations and all this stuff. It's just, it kind of, it really, it was a really beneficial experience being able to work with him and know, you know, learn all these additional things that really I wouldn't probably have learned if that timber shop was full. So I felt really lucky to be in that position. And um, I learned uh, a lot that, you know, that you really, you can't learn in school as much as you, you think you can learn, you know, college is great and everything. Um, but, you know, especially in natural resources, once you get out in the field, you learn so much by being on the field, talking to people, you know, just observing how things work. So, yeah. Was it like the, the training? So you got your undergrad in wildlife ecology and management. So like mm-hmm. when you got out there, did you have any idea what you were doing or did he have to like show you pretty much everything? I think, well, there it was kind of, there was a mix. I mean, I definitely had some experience in some of the stuff, but then there was also a big terminology change. Um, you know, they would say words that meant the same thing that we meant, but he used a different word. So I was like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> it was just kind of funny, like, uh, I guess like when they, cause they call when they're logging, if they're not using cable yarding, they'll call it a shovel. And like, that's basically for us, that's just like uh, a processor or, I mean, it's not, it's not actually a processor. It's more of a, um, a forwarder or something, you know, cause basically all they're doing is everything there is hand felled with chainsaws. Then they come in with a shovel or a cable yarder and they just drag the logs out to the landing. Um, so basically that's just like for us, it's a forwarder. So, you know, like I didn't know what a shovel was or, um, I mean, heck, I, but I talked about karst earlier. I didn't know what karst was, you know, stuff like that. Right. Um, and out there, I'm mean, out West, um, and natural resource wise, they use, you know, since the trees are so much bigger, they use reliscops for everything. You know, I used a reliscop once in field tech here at tech and, you know, that's all we did. We just looked at a tree, tried to measure the height and like, all right, you're good to go. Um, so I had to learn, you know, I had to properly learn how to use that more. Um, but I mean, a lot of the other stuff that we learned in field techniques, you know, like just the basic applicable stuff, you know, like using a compass, using a GPS, you know, like basic stuff like that. Um, cruising and grading is a lot different out there because I mean, the trees are so large and it's, it makes a big deal, you know, what you grade each log. Um, it makes a big difference in the volume that gets outputted in the analysis that they'll do later on. So that's, mm-hmm. 
that's a big thing to, to learn. And, you know, I was able to kind of go under his wing and talk with him through when we were cruising stuff. And that was kind of the nice thing about Alaska in general is everything is just so much more laid back and they want you to be safe and they want you to, you know, like they still want you to be productive, obviously, but you're not being forced to like get this done, you know, like hurry this up or something like that. It's all laid back and it's understood that, you know, things out there are so much different than the contiguous 48 that, you know, you're just going to have to live with the kind of output that you're going to get while you can be safe. So, right. I think um, that the like national forests or like the, the forest service in general has a big safety aspect to it, which is really nice. Um, Cause I've worked for the forest service too. And it like, and I've now I work for the DNR and like the safety aspect working for the forest service was much higher. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They, they definitely make you feel like you're valued as an employee with the safety and I mean, situa- situational awareness. When I worked on sale prep crews and, Colorado you just uh, yeah you just feel valued as an employee and at, at the ranger district uh, meetings we'd have we just kind of have these close calls talks and it was very open dialogue but yeah you just feel like you're, you're really taken care of and they take it seriously yeah yeah absolutely cool so Casey how about you tell us about uh, your co-workers and stuff while you were up there working and then we'll kind of wrap up after that yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so the coworkers I worked with, um, you know, in Coldfoot and in Southeast Alaska were a lot of folks from the lower 48 and some Alaskans and international folks, but, um, yeah, it, it's just great to kind of meet people from all over the, the country really. And then foster these relationships and then people who had been there season after season, they kind of hand down their knowledge of like, where's the best place to hike or do trips and stuff like that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you know, we just <laughs> had a great time, just some excellent memories there, especially, um, like summer solstice in Alaska. That's almost like a holiday as big as Christmas. Yep. I feel like it's just a giant party. I had no idea. Everybody's like solstice is coming. Solstice is coming. Yeah. June 21st. So, and, uh, you know, anywhere in Alaska, that's going to be 24 hours of sun pretty much. So, um, and that kind of throws a whole nother, kind uh, different perspective when you have that much sunlight it's just uh i think your body kind of changes and um yeah you just you get that much sunlight you're a pretty happy guy i think yeah <laughs> cool so uh to wrap up how about so nathan congrats on getting the job by the way for this summer um, thank you very much what tell me about uh like what your future goals are so you are Nathan you're graduating this spring like this semester yeah um, yeah so hopefully with uh, all this coronavirus I don't know yeah, <laughs> who knows, yeah. Who knows what's happened with all of our lives but um yeah, yeah so, so for listeners I'll just tell them that our I mean as most of the country I feel right now we've switched to just online classes for the rest of the semester so that has been a challenge and I think this is all three of ours first time using zoom uh, yep. and we I will I'm sure with it. yeah <laughs> all right so Nathan yeah tell us about like your future uh what you want to do yeah so uh this, like you said, this summer, uh, I'll be working in Powers, Oregon, um, with the Forest Service again. Um, it'll be on the Rogue River Siskiyou National Forest, which is southwest Oregon. Um, I'll be, so my title is technically uh, Timber Sale Administration. So 
Um, I'll be moving, you know, I'll still be doing some timber sale prep work like I did um, in Alaska, but it'll be a lot more um, contractual work and kind of being on the more of the, I don't want to call it not so fun side, um, but actually being there maybe while the harvest is going on, um, working with the loggers um, and kind of doing that stuff and really seeing how the paperwork gets pushed through um, and everything like that. So it's a really beneficial experience. I'm excited for it. Um, I'm excited to be able to drive out there. Um, I know in Alaska, that was kind of one of the, the only complaint if I had any in Alaska is that I didn't have a car to get anywhere I wanted to go, which is kind of a bummer. But, you know, once you've got friends and, um, you guys, you could walk usually everywhere. And, um, but there was some areas that, you know, you really wanted to explore, you would need a car. Um, but so yeah, I'm excited to go out there for that. Um, but, um, yeah, so this is another temporary, it's a 1039. Um, so I'm just, I'm excited because it'll kind of give me, um, more, more experience obviously in the natural resource field and just being away from home. Um, I kind of want to, you know, I'm at the point in my life where I'm still trying to decide if I kind of want to pursue a career out West and live out there, or if I want to have these, you know, kind of these fun little summer trips, you know, and then maybe land some kind of job back here in Michigan where my family is. Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely beneficial just to be able to go back out there. Um, and it'll definitely, it's going to boost my resume for sure, because, you know, the timber sale administration is very vital for, for any part of forestry or any timber sales you want to get through. It's definitely a skill um, that's desired. And um, after that, I don't know, you know, I'll, I'll probably decide at least probably halfway through this job or, you know, somewhere along the way where I'll be applying for other jobs for once I uh, use up my 1039, which will probably be in either November, October, November, December, depending on how busy, you know, everything is. But um, after that, I'll be looking for hopefully a permanent. I don't know if we'll be back here. It'll be um, Alaska or, uh, you know, out west somewhere, Oregon, Washington. Uh, I've kind of narrowed it down, I guess, where I, I really want to live either in Alaska, Washington, Oregon, or Michigan. Um, <laughs> kind of, uh, I don't know, just, just that area, but, um, I guess, you know, for the future, obviously I don't really know what it holds. Um, going to Alaska this summer definitely changed a lot of, uh, or gave me some more goals even further. Um, I really enjoyed flying float planes. Um, so I guess a common thing that I don't tell many people is that eventually I want to earn, I want to get my private pilot's license and then my commercial pilot's license and, not use that for commercial piloting, but um, I guess my dream job per se would be either being a forest health forester or even just a wildlife biologist pilot, where essentially you have obtained, you know, your commercial pilot's license, you work for a federal agency, they maybe like the Forest Service or the BLM, um, and you're one of those positions and you will literally take the plane they provide to you you'll fly in, you know, either if you're a forest health, you know, forester, you're usually flying and trying to assess, you know, the health of a forest or usually you'll go by a forest that's been like nailed by hemlock, boliadelgid or, you know, beet bark beetle. It's a lot of things that you can just, you, you need the areas, I guess they're not accessible via road. You know, there's no roads through there. It's a wilderness and you need, you need someone to analyze that area. So that's a dream job for me or even, you know, being someone as a wildlife biologist where you can't get to an area via road. So you fly in, you conduct your surveys, you know, you conduct your, 
everything a wildlife biologist does essentially. Um, and then you get back in the plane and head home. Um, I guess I just really like that aspect of Alaska. I, I love flying. I loved float planes. So that's kind of something I want to at least see in my future. Even if I don't ever get that dream job, I'd still love to obtain my private pilot's license and maybe buy a plane someday or something like that. Cause I think that's, I really enjoyed that part yeah. of Alaska and um, enjoyed that idea. So it's awesome. kind of crazy, you know, it's, it's weird. Just done. You don't really know. What, I know none of us really know what our future holds, but it's cool to kind of see how many times, you know, I mean, I've changed my like so-called career goals like four times since I came out of high school or four or five times since I came out of high school. I mean, that's not even that much. I'm sure other people have a lot more than that, but this is kind of funny, you know, how much you can change in a matter of such a, at least it seems like it's a short amount of time. So, yeah. Cool. Well, Casey, what is your ultimate goal? You and I will be going to fall camp this fall together, and then Absolutely. you'll be graduating after <laughs> that. So what is your goal after that? And do you have a job lined up for the summer? I do, yeah. Um, I'll also be with the Forest Service. Uh, yeah, I was kind of looking to work for industry and switch things up this summer, but uh, ended up getting a job uh, through the SAF uh, hiring for um, Forester internship, so I'll be in uh, Asheville, North Carolina, on the Bent Creek Experimental Forest. Um, so my job's just going to be a mix of doing some field work on that forest with some of the research projects, and then exposure to the national forest system in uh, in North Carolina. The headquarters is there, but the the forests and the ranger districts are kind of scattered throughout the the state. So yeah, I'll be uh, doing that, and then. Um, yeah, I, I think ultimately I'd like to be a silviculturist with the Forest Service. I think that'd be an excellent job. And yeah, silviculture is always what fascinated me and really drew me to the to forestry to begin with. That that balance of art and science I find really interesting. So um, yeah, another cool thing about the Forest Service too is just the the travel you can do within it. I think as a permanent, you know, there's always all these details you can do. So you know, if you want to go back and work in Alaska for a few months, you can do that or anywhere in the country since it is, you know, the national forest system obviously is, is national. So, um, yeah, just looking to continue on with the, the forest service when I graduate. So. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you guys for joining in. I will let you know when I have the podcast up. And again, this is caught in the Krause fire. Uh, thank you, Nathan and Casey for, coming on today. I think that was some really valuable information. We got a, we had a lot to talk about. Um, and I'm really glad that we get to share your experiences with the world. Mm -hmm. So Thank you very good, much. yeah, Thank good you luck with us. the rest of the semester. Um, you know, if you guys need anything, I, I probably won't be in my office after this. I think I'm gonna start working from home from here on out, but, um, I'll be around. So. Sounds good. All good right. Deal. Well, thank you guys. Have a good one. You too. All right. Take Bye. care.